0: your Bibles this morning and, and whenever you're preaching a revival meeting and starting a revival meeting you're always curious where you're gonna go where you're gonna start and so when we think of revival I'm sure we think of the book of Leviticus the book of Leviticus if you would chapter number 19 this morning Leviticus on chapter number 19 and we'll begin reading today in verse number five it's I'll make, make mention of this again in the morning service but it's been my desire in my time at Calvary Baptist Temple to preach through the whole Bible. And so just book by book. And so we're not necessarily going book by book in order, uh, chronological order or even uh, how it's listed in the scriptures. We've kind of bounced around, but uh, uh, chapter by chapter, book by book. And we're about 75% of the way through. And after 21 years of being there, and uh, but I'm also finding I'm slowing down. As a younger man, I would cover more scripture, and now I'm covering less scripture and and more time, I guess. All right? But Leviticus chapter number 19 this morning, stand with me if you would, and we'll begin reading in verse number 5. Leviticus chapter 19 and verse number 5. And if ye offer a sacrifice of peace offerings unto the Lord, ye shall offer it at your own will. It shall be eaten the same day ye offer it, and on the morrow, and if aught remain until the third day, it shall be burnt in the fire. And if it be eaten at all on the third day, it is abominable. It shall not be accepted. Therefore, everyone that eateth it shall bear his iniquity, because he hath profaned the hallowed thing of the Lord. And that soul shall be cut off from among his people. And when ye reap the harvest of your land, thou shalt not wholly reap the corners of thy field, neither shalt thou gather the gleanings of thy harvest, and thou shalt not glean thy vineyard, neither shalt thou gather every grape of thy vineyard. Thou shalt leave them for the poor and stranger. I am the Lord, your God. So our title this morning is this and I won't I don't think I'll do this the rest of the week, but I ask that you look at me as I say the title because there's going to be a key component to this, all right? So here's our here's our title this morning. Deep truths from a shallow text. Deep truths from a shallow text. You go, well, why is it important you look at me? Because I'm putting shallow text in quotation marks. The mind of God is revealed in the Word of God. There are no shallow texts. But there's initial things that we see, and then there's much bigger things that we might be able to help us to be a blessing to us this morning. Lord, I love you. And it's a blessing to be here. It's a blessing to preach. Lord, thank you for the opportunity. I ask that you would be, Lord, with Calvary back home, with brother in the air, Lord, as he preaches the Sunday School Hour, Brother Jones, Lord, as he preaches this morning and tonight. Lord, would you meet needs there. And Lord, may my absence not be a hindrance, may it be a blessing. And uh, Lord, you can do that very, very easily. And your word, Lord, should do that. And so we pray that it would. And then, Lord, would you help us here. I pray, Lord, for those that need to be saved, that they would be. For those that, Lord, are serving passionately, that you just put more wood to their fire. Lord, for those that may be a, a little... Uh, Mundane or humdrum in their service for you, may they, Lord, as we just say, be revived again, uh, Lord, uh, to love you more, and that would be seen in our love for people. Lord, bless the message. Help us, Lord, to communicate it in a way that be pleasing to you. In Jesus' name, Amen. Thank you. This morning, you may be seated deep truths from a quote-unquote shallow text there are portions of the scripture that when you read them right off the bat you know this is a heavy portion of scripture this is a blessed portion of scripture Uh, uh, it doesn't really require even much thought it is just that simple in its blessing Psalm 23 comes to mind the Lord is my Shepherd I shall not want and uh, I mean there are a lot of deep truths you can communicate from that text but I'm sure even the kids that just left the room uh, could read the 23rd Psalm and get truth out of it and get application out of it and and be impacted by it. Uh, John chapter 14 is a wonderful passage of Scripture. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again to receive you unto Myself, that where I am, there you may be also. I mean, that's wonderful. Can I tell you this morning, Jesus Christ is coming back. And that's worthy of celebrating, that's worthy of recognizing. Then there's other portions of Scripture that when you read it, you're like... I have no idea what that just said. Okay, I'm just being honest with you. all right? the pastors don't have like special abilities that we just read something one time and we're like, oh, I get it, I got it, I mean, I'm good. Um, the book of Hebrews comes to mind. I am saving Hebrews for last. The, the book of Hebrews will be the last book of the Bible I preach to. In my opinion, Hebrews is probably uh, it's dark chocolate. It is rich. It is deep. And and uh, there can't be a testimony without the first the death of the testator and the this and the, and you finish reading and you're like, well, praise the Lord. I have no idea what that means. You got to study and figure it out then there's portions of scripture like this scripture in the which case when you read it the immediate lesson is very simple and very known very 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 applicable very easily understood but if you'll study it a little bit more you'll find that there is more application and application for us in 2023 that's why god preserved it and kept it for us for all of these years I'm grateful. By the way, it's always good to just say this the first time you preach someplace, so they know where you stand. I'm old school, independent, fundamental, King James Baptist, premillennial. You know all those kinds of things. King James, perfect. King James, inspired. It's all we use. We don't. But I'm not mad about it. Okay. Well, maybe I should be. Then, then we'll get an amen. All right. Next time, I'll say it like I'm angry, and we'll go from there. All right. In the book of Leviticus, this is what we have here. Follow my logic here. The book of Leviticus follows the book of Exodus. So it's after the book of Exodus, the book of Genesis, of course, the book of beginnings, the book of Exodus, the story of Moses and the children of Israel being led out of Egypt. And that is a picture and a type of our salvation. Praise God, we can be set free from the world and delivered from the world system, delivered from the grip and the clutches of of Satan himself and the power of this world. And so God delivers them, God gets them out. Now, they're not a nation. They are the people of Israel. And the book of Leviticus is the transition not only between uh, uh, Egypt and then the promised land, but it's a transition from being slaves to being a nation. Now think about it, our America is a 250 years old, more or less, and uh, we had to have founding fathers and founding documents, and this is what we're going to do. A Side note, we'd do well to go back and reread those occasionally and uh, uh, implement those into our lives. And so the book of Leviticus really is, it is the rules for a functioning society. We read it and we're like, this is weird stuff. No, 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 God is telling a people group how they are going to become a nation group. And so God is instructing them and helping them. There's all kinds of lessons. Beginning in chapter number 19, chapter 19 and 20 of the book of Leviticus read a little bit more like the book of Proverbs, in that they are little snippet lessons in just two or three verses, and then it moves on to the next lesson, and a little snippet lesson, and it moves on to the next, le- next lesson. So we're going to look at two different lessons this morning uh, in our passage, and then make application of it and, and see what God would have for us. So the first one is found in, beginning in verse number 5, and we will just call it this way it is the law of the peace offerings. The law of the peace offerings. So let's read it again. And if ye offer a peace offering unto the Lord, ye shall offer it at your own will. It shall be eaten the same day ye offer it, and on the morrow. And if aught remain unto the third day, it shall be burnt in the fire. So Moses tells the people, God tells Moses, Moses tells the people, when you offer a peace offering unto the Lord, uh, uh, make the sacrifice. You're allowed to eat of it that day. You're allowed to eat of it the second day. But the third day, you can't eat of it anymore. You're supposed to burn the rest of it and not consume it on the third day. The simple lesson, the, the easy lesson is this. Food isn't typically good on the third day. Okay, uh, uh, apparently the last time I preached at camp when you all were there, I talked quite a bit about Taco Bell. I did that because Taco Bell is God's proof. He loves us, all right? Pastor Barry said, when yesterday he asked me, he said, when was the last time you went to Taco Bell? I said, on the way here, driving here. I stopped at Taco Bell. And uh, uh, Taco Bell is good the first day. Taco Bell is not so good the second day. And if you eat it after the third day, you're going to have problems. You're going to have serious problems, right? Food, particularly back in this time, uh, they didn't have refrigeration. They didn't have some of the modern uh, uh, equipments that we have. And so it would go bad. And so when God says don't eat stuff the third day, listen, we don't have to spiritualize the text. We don't have to look for some deeper meaning. He's saying don't eat food the third day. It's not going to be healthy for you. It's not going to be good for you. Well, that seems really shallow. Well, I told you it was a simple truth. I told you it was the the, 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 the low-hanging fruit there. But there are a people group that their food was basically provided for them by Egypt. And so now they're not aware of a lot of things. And so God says, look, you can eat it the first day. You can eat it the second day. But after that, throw it away. Or put it in a Tupperware container. Put it in the back of your fridge. Let it sit there a month. And then throw it away. You'll feel better about it. All right, I can tell we've got really energy in the room. So that's the simple truth that really is that's a simple application of the text however so i'm reading this and i'm, I'm preaching through the book of leviticus in our church and, and i'm like okay well that makes good i mean there's some simple application there that help us be healthier lives and so on and so forth but then in verse number seven it says and if it be eaten at all on the third day it is abominable okay and shall not be accepted therefore everyone that eateth it shall bear his iniquity because he hath profaned the hallowed thing of the lord and that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Well, it's in verses 7 and 8 that we realize, okay, something's more afoot here than just refrigeration. Something's more afoot here than just healthy living and, and not eating something that's going to do us damage. And so, uh, well, what is the application? What is Why is it so bad? I mean, if they ate it, they would be cut off from the nation of Israel. It is abominable, the Bible says. You have profaned the hallow thing. These are significant... Um, uh, uh, uh punishments and significant implications if this rule were to be violated well we're not going to take the time to do it this morning but if you go back to the first couple of chapters in the book of leviticus you'll find that they really started with the laws of the sacrifice and and the various the the peace offering and the burnt offering and, and all of those things the peace offering was unique in this regard the peace offering was the only offering that was uh, habitually offered, continually offered, uh, routinely offered, that was accepted by all three parties. Let me explain. So when you offered a, a burnt offering or you brought in a, a sacrifice of a lamb, you would the, the priest would slit the lamb's throat and it was a picture of the coming Messiah, Jesus Christ, who would take away our sins, all of those things. All right, and then they would burn it in the fire. The Lord would take the the burnt offering, that part of the animal, that was the Lord's. The priest would take some of it that was his. The peace offering was unique in that not only did God get his and the priest take his, but the person making the sacrifice was allowed to participate. Okay, so this is a little odd. We We don't do this. Praise the Lord, we don't have to do this in 2023. I'm grateful to be forgiven of my sin now. I just go to the Lord Jesus Christ in prayer. Come on, I go to God through Jesus and ask a prayer. But back then, you had to bring in an animal. Well, the peace offering, you could bring in an animal. You could bring in even a sheep, for that example. And the the sheep would be slain. And the priest, we're going to just use Pastor Barry as the priest, he got to partake of that as part of his family, as part of his salary, as part of feeding his family. He would get to take some of that lamb. And then that sheep would be laid on on the altar and burnt. And so the Lord would get his portion of the lamb. But if I were the one bringing the sheep, I could take a portion of it and cook it and eat it, and it was a symbol that there was peace between me and the priest and God. Come on, that, that's a wonderful thing. It's good to be at peace with the pastor. It's good to not have to come to church and feel like you got to dodge him. It's good when the pastor's walking up the steps to your house, you're not like, you know, turn the TV off and quick, run, hide. You know, it, it, it's good when there's, there, there's, there's peace this way. It's good when you can go to the Lord in prayer and say, Dear Jesus, and He goes, Yes. Yeah. Instead of saying, oh, Let's talk about your sin. Yeah. Come on. It's good. it's good to be at peace this way, and it's good to be at peace this way. There's another book, there's another message about warping the wolf there in the book of Leviticus that Brother Sam preached years ago that's awesome about that. But that's what the peace offering is a, is a picture of and is a, a, is a symbol of that everything's right between you and the man of God, between the man of God and God, and between God and you. Yeah. That's why it's called peace Offering. We might even call it today a fellowship offering. And it was a wonderful thing where all three got to participate in a symbol that everything was good. Okay, so now we understand what a peace offering is. So they come in and they make this peace offering, and you can eat it the first day, and you can eat it the second day, but if you eat it the third day, it's abominable. And you'll be cut off. And you have made the sacrifice of the Lord a wicked thing. Still doesn't make much sense. How about we put it this way? Making the sacrifice was doing something to celebrate peace with God. Peace with other believers. It was a sacrificial gift. It was an action. It was a a participating in something that symbolically meant, I'm right with Him. I'm right with Him. We're all good together. And you could enjoy it that day. By the way, you should enjoy it. When there are days when you and your wife are at peace, you should enjoy it. Come on, you should enjoy that. When you and the pastor are at peace, you should enjoy it. You and, the, you and your God are at peace, you should enjoy it. Those are wonderful things. And then it even says that you could eat it the second day. But the verbiage is such. By the way, this is why it does matter what version of the Bible you read. Read again what it says in verse number six. And it shall be eaten the same day you offer it and on the morrow. So it's it's to be eaten the first day. And you can eat it the second day. Now, I'm of the opinion, a lot of times, leftovers are better than first overs. Just, just I don't know, the, the, you know, it gets a little bit of mold on it or something, the enzymes break it down, I don't really know how that works. Um, but uh, the verbiage would suggest it'll be enjoyed the first day, it can be tolerated the second day, but then the third day, <clears throat> no mas, no more. Why is that? Here's our application, here's our truth, our deeper truth from a quote-unquote shallower text. We cannot live today for God, with God, on what we did last week for God. We dare not try to live today with God on what we have previously done for God. Maybe we could, I like to illustrate things in my mind, it just, just works. Okay. So imagine if I come home from this trip and, and I have a, a nice gift, I have a box that's wrapped in red wrapping paper with a big bow on it and my wife's name and everything. And I come home from, from this trip and I go, babe, I've missed you and here's, here's a gift. And, and wow, you didn't have to give me anything. And she, you know, opens the box like ladies do and she's trying to save the paper and everything. And she opens it up. It's a, it's a piece of paper. And the piece of paper says, I just wanted to remind you in 1998, I gave you flowers. Now, Question. Did I score points? No. Did I lose points? Yes. Because I am trying to live today in what I did many, many years ago. Can I tell you in our Christian life, sometimes particularly as independent Baptists, we hold on to things we've done for God in the past and act as if that should give us credit today. Now I'm very, very thankful in the doctrine of salvation. This is a peace offering. This isn't the burnt offering, this isn't the picture of the type. If you Once you're saved, you're forever saved. And so if you got saved 20 years ago, you don't have to renew it. It's good forever, for always, because of the person of Jesus Christ and his perfection. What he's telling us, it is an abomination to offer to God today what you did 10 years ago, five years ago, six months ago, and expect that God is going to be pleased with that. And so as we think about a revival meeting, we can think, Maybe there's some people, and I don't. I, I prayed this morning. The great thing about preaching at a new church is I don't know you. I don't know your stories, so I can preach with innocence of conscience. I'm not. I'm not chasing anybody down, other than the the, the notes that your pastor sent me, um, other than those. I, I'm I'm completely flying in the dark. Well, I know people though at Calvary and at our own church that would say stuff like this. Well, Brother Park, I I used to teach a Sunday school class. I taught Sunday school for 22 years. Well, that's a blessing. What are you doing now? What are you doing now? I, I used to clean the church. Well, that's a blessing, I'm sure. Every time you clean the church, that was a blessing. But what are you doing for God now? I used to sing in the choir. I, I, I used to do mow the lawn at the church. I, I, and I understand that as we get older, what we can do, transitions and, and all of those things. And by the way, so does God. More importantly than me understanding that, God understands that. But I don't want to live a life in I used this. I don't want to live a life in I could have. I don't want to live a life in the past. And in fact, Trying to do that and offering that up to God, not only does not score you points, according to the text, it's abominable. It, it, we have dishallowed the, the, the hallowed things of God and dishonored who He is to think that we can live today on what we used to do. So think about that this morning. What are things you used to do? The Apostle Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse number 31, I am die daily there is a need to every day recommit and decide. Lamentations chapter 3 and verse number 23. Jeremiah said it this way we always look at it as God to us but it should be us to God that his commandments and his teachings are new every morning. When was the last time you witnessed over oh, the park I, I used to go with Pastor Moore before Brother Barry got here I used to go with brother Moore and I used that's wonderful that's how I used this. Listen, we ought to make new memories and we ought to write new stories. Valley Avenue Baptist Church ought to write new stories and make new memories. As the Lord allows me to travel and to preach, it's interesting when you talk to people, what is celebrated? And sometimes you'll walk into a church that celebrates their past. By the way, the only reason why we're here is because of sacrifices in the past. I try to remind our church that. uh, We have a church building and, and we've done hundreds of thousands of dollars of remodeling in our church building but we have that building because generations in the past sacrificed. we didn't buy the land we didn't buy the property it would be probably i don't know three four million dollars in fort collins now to try to buy our church property and our church building somebody else sacrificed for that somebody so we're we do honor the past but we can't live in the past no, no, that, that that's not going to work. You can you can celebrate it. You can eat it the first day, and it's enjoyable. You can even maybe the second day be like, man, praise the Lord. On a Monday, it's awesome to go back and go, man, Sunday was good. Sunday was good. Sunday was good. But by about Tuesday, you need the Word of God. You need a new dose. You need new devotions. You need new. Well, I've already read through the Bible one time. Well, how about we read it through again? And the fact that you read it through during the Carter administration was a blessing. But maybe we ought to maybe we ought to reread it again. Find it interesting? It says you shall offer at the end of verse number five ye shall offer it at your own will. No one can force you. No one can make you. No one can put a put a gun to your, your head, so to speak, to, to force you to do these things. But what a difference it makes when we live in the now. It's fun for my wife and I to sit around and maybe as we're on a long drive we'll uh, talk about this or that and, and laugh about things of old. And It's fun. I, I told her, uh, I read on your website that you had said that you had surrendered to preach at a camp that I had preached and, and uh, I told my wife that and, and she snickered and I said, what's so funny? And she goes, that just means we're old. <laughs> that the, the people who were teenagers when you were first preaching at camp are now pastoring churches. That just, that just means we're old. And it's fun to relive old times and to think about old times. That's fun. But you know what? That's not going to sustain us. I want, I want new stories. I want, I want 20 years from now there to be someone from this meeting that's preaching somewhere uh, because uh, the Lord called us here and allowed us to be used of God here. And, and uh, uh, let's not just eat yesterday's bread. By the way, yesterday's bread will never satisfy the next generation yesterday's bread we can talk about how good it used to be our kids aren't going to rally behind that they want to know that they can enjoy the stories and that they can make their uh, walk with god real and and exciting as they age well the first lesson is don't live in the past all right well then verse number nine and when you reap the harvest of your land thou shalt not wholly reap the corners of thy field neither shalt thou gather the gleanings of thy harvest and thou shalt not glean thy vineyard, neither shalt thou gather every grape of thy vineyard. Thou shalt leave them for the poor and stranger, I am the Lord your God. Well, there is the simple truth of this. Once again, you look at the, the, the low-laying fruit, no pun intended. Uh, you're able to understand what he's talking about. And then there's a, a deeper meaning as well. The low-hanging fruit of this was, this was God's way of, uh, uh, of helping people with sustain themselves and the poor of the land. I'll use my Bible as an illustration, and I'm nervous about this because um, I'm going to guess there's far more farmers in uh, uh, Falls City, Nebraska area than there is in Fort Collins. So you're, you're, I could just make stuff up in Fort Collins about farming, they don't know. But. So imagine this were a field, this were a plot of land, a, a, an acreage that, that you were going to uh, uh, plant corn in. And so it's a a square field, you know, that's easier for measurements and and whose land belongs to whom. They would typically have lands in in square parcels, even back then. And so God is telling remember, they're they're forming a nation. They're becoming not just a people group, but a nation. And so God says, there needs to be a way to take care of your poor, your indigent, perhaps your your widows uh, or your orphans. And so he says, as you farm it, he said, don't harvest the corners of your land. So plant it in a square, but harvest in a circle, which will leave the corners of your land. And that way the poor of the land could go and harvest in the corner sections of the land. He also says, don't glean every, I'm using modern verbiage, don't glean every last grape. Don't glean every last ear of corn. As you're walking through the ears of corn and, and you're, you're plucking the corn, and you the, the law later expounded upon this, that if you're picking the ears of corn, and then you look back and you realize, oh, I missed an ear of corn on that stalk, you weren't allowed to backtrack and go and get it. Why? So the poor of the land could come through and they could get that ear of corn. They could harvest in the corners, and then after you gleaned, they could harvest behind you and pick whatever you had left. And you weren't supposed to be Um, what's the word I'm looking for a miser as you go through and make sure that you get every single grape that's what he's telling him don't get every single grape don't get every single ear of corn don't get every single piece of, of fruit or or a vegetable or grain or whatever it is that you're harvesting don't harvest everything so that the poor of the land could come behind you I find it interesting that the poor of the land still had to work in order to be benefited Our nation would be a little bit better off if everybody had to work in order to receive help. If every day you were on unemployment, you had to come and pick up a pile of 100 bricks from there and move them over there. And then the next day you had to come back and pick up a pile of bricks from over there and move them over there. I'm going to guess sooner or later you'd find a job. Just decide. No, no, no come on. We're, this is the low hanging. I'm not preaching something that's not there. That's what's there. That's what he's saying. We should care for the poor. We should care for the indigent. We should care for those who cannot care for themselves, who are in a bad spot. We should make allowances for them and help them out. But the Bible still says in Second Thessalonians, if a man does not work, neither shall he eat. And so they had to work there on the corners. You got to reap that that's in the corners. So simple lesson for the second lesson is this. Don't be stingy. Don't be stingy. Yeah. We're all blessed. Don't be. That's a good revival preaching. Don't be stingy. Well, I'm sure the pastor would like it if offerings went up. I'm I don't remember. Okay. well, got tight. All right, so note so. I started to ask how many of you have farms, but people might actually have farms. When I asked that for comes how many of you have farms? Nobody has farms. Nobody. We don't. This preaching does not necessarily. Oh, stay with me here. Does not necessarily apply to us today in the average American citizen because the average American citizen isn't planting corn. We're not planting wheat. We're not. We're, that, that's that's not true of most America of, of, of most people. We don't live in agrarian society anymore. Or we live in an industrialized society, an urban society, and that's just not where we're at. But God saw fit to preserve this for all these thousands of years so that we can read it today. So there must still be application for us today. Now follow my logic here. If God wanted them to think about the reaping, God intended for them to think about that during the sowing. Okay, so I did a little research. If this is wrong, blame Google. Okay, <laughs> blame Google. Typically, corn is planted in March-April. It's harvested around, harvested around maybe as early as August, as late as October, depending on the season, the weather, all of those kinds of things. So there is a time period between when it is planted and then when it is picked when it's sowed and when it is reaped okay now i i have a very vivid imagination you'll find that this week we'll we'll imagine all kinds of things but i always try to place myself in the text okay so if i'm wealthy enough to own land by the way isn't it funny god's telling them rules about owning land and planting land when they don't even own land yet God's already in our tomorrow. He knows. He's prepared. He's, he's He's helping us. And so, God says, "All right, when you're rich and you own land, so I'm rich. I own land, and I'm planting the land. I'm sowing the land. And so we're gonna we're just gonna make this up here be be the, the 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 borders of my field, right? I have a big huge plot of land from that wall to that wall. And so I'm I'm sowing, and I get over here to the corner, and in my head I go, everything I sow over here, I'm not gonna get." And I'm looking over and I see I see Brother Tim and I'm like Tim's lazy and he he's 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 going to get <clears throat> I'm out here working he's sitting over there drinking lemonade and I'm he he's going to get that whatever I sow in that corner now I'm just telling you this is how honest I am this, this is what I'm thinking is I'm if I'm sowing my seed and I'm coming to the corners of the property I'm going why should I plant anything over there when I'm not going to reap anything over there? Why should I do something for someone else's benefit? And so you know what I'm tempted to do? And I would have the weirdest fields in all of Bethlehem, Judah, because corn would be like here, and then over here there'd be like two stalks. When it came time to care for the corn and to, to, to water the corn. Now, I'm imagining a garden hose because I have a garden hose. I don't think they had garden hoses. But you're watering everything and, and you got to pay for the water. And you're like... You, you, you pluck the, the weeds. You you, you you cultivate. You do all the work. You do all the labor. And over there, you're like... Eh. As you walk by, you kick the weed. That, that's, that's about as much as you do. Why? Because you know you're not personally going to benefit from it and so if this law applied to reaping this law also applied to sowing and God says I want you to do things that you know will not benefit you but I told you to do that don't do it for stinking lazy Tim do it because God told you to do it because there's going to come a time when the poor and the indigent, they're going to they're going to need that. And so I want you to work just as hard and have just as much passion and put in just as much effort for the things in the corners that will never benefit you as you do for the things that will benefit you. You know what will kill a church? When people only want to work hard for something that benefits them, it'll, it'll kill a church. It'll kill a church. When we, it's, I, I've been here all of, I mean, it's 10, 10, so I've been here for 40 minutes now at church time. And just last night at the pastor's house and this morning watching things, praise the Lord for how many little kids you've got running around. I mean, it, I mean, it's, they're going to take over if you're not careful there. And in fact, is even if you are careful, they eventually will take over. And uh, Brother David, our church says, be kind to kids, they're going to pick your nursing home. Uh-huh. Right. So be kind to the kids, they're going to pick. But you know what a church could do? A church could go, listen, we ought not to spend our money on the bus. We ought not to spend the money on tend the kids to camp. Kid. We ought not to spend the money on the, I mean, uh, oh, let's let's get the senior citizens taken care of around here. Let's, let's. By the way, you ought to take care of the senior citizens as well. But a church is going to die when it starts saying, how does this benefit me? And if it doesn't benefit me, we don't do it. Or we do token service instead of all-out service. Notice what the Bible says here. At the end of verse number 10 he says thou shalt leave them for the poor and stranger and then he follows it up with a statement I am the Lord your God now if you want to disagree with me there's room for disagreement on this this idea right here but I think what God is saying there is I know what I'm doing I'm watching I'll take care of it well why should I sow over here so that Tim can be lazy Pastors seem really excited about that principle because God's watching. Because God's watching, you're not really doing it for Tim; you're doing it for God. And God's watching, and God will, God will balance that all out. Listen, on the way here, I got a it's a bad email, a bad story. I got an email from a missionary that that is coming home from the field, and there's there seems to be some ethical things, there seems to be some weird things about it, and I'm I'm starting to get upset, and I'm starting to get angry. And you know, these nah, God's servant, God will take care of it. We'll we'll be okay. Now, I'm not excusing it. I'm not justifying it. I'm not just pushing it under the rug. But I'm saying, I don't have to get that mad about it. Um, Maybe he should have finished the letter with, I am the Lord your God. God will take care of it. God will take care of it. Now, the summary of both of these lessons back-to-back would be this. Don't live in the past, but think of the future. Don't live on what you used to do, but focus on what you are doing and what that can do, down the road, and as a church, man, it's wonderful. Pastor was like, uh, "You just put the carpet squares in the lobby, and you you put the the." Uh, 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 wood uh, paneling or not wood paneling. No, it's not not 1960 uh, the, the the wood floors out there and, and adjusted it. that's awesome You know what y'all gotta do y'all look forward to the future when you're putting in the sidewalk down there And you're gonna do this and you've got one bus route Maybe you'll get a second bus route and you took this many kids to camp Now you're looking to take that many kids to camp And then you know all those little kids are gonna grow up and they're gonna end up going to Bible college and so how are we gonna help them pay for Bible college? Some of those bus kids how in the world are they gonna pay for Bible college? So we're gonna look ahead we're gonna start setting aside money to help send those kids to Bible whatever Whatever it is you don't live in the past but you work in the present with your mind on the future what a God what a Bible that you could look at an innocuous portion of scripture in Leviticus 19 and be like okay don't eat old food save food for the poor great when you look at it a little bit deeper there's a lot more there because even in Leviticus when we open this we open the mind of God, and He's got so much for us. How is this a revival passage? Well, we can be revived by just not living in the past. And we can be revived by going, I want to live my life in such a way that long after I'm gone, people are still benefited by what I'm doing now. People are still benefited by what I'm doing now. Our church invests by far the most money is in missions. Next to that, the most money is in our young people, and our in our kids. Why is that? Because they're going to outlive me. By and large. I mean, there may be an anomaly here or there. But they're going to outlive me. And and I want, listen, I want 50 years after I'm dead and gone, I want there to still be people preaching. I want there to still be people teaching Sunday school classes that we helped lead to Christ, that we brought into church, that we helped take the youth camp and all those things. Why? I don't just want to live for the now. I want to live for the then. And that God would bless. What a book. What a Bible. What a God. Amen. Lord, I thank you today for your word. I pray you'd help us to put it into practice. Lord, this week, this year, may we not live on yesterday's bread, on yesterday's miracles, yesterday's stories, yesterday's manna. Lord, but may we, may we start new every day. May we enjoy it. Oh, yes. And then may we move forward. And then, Lord, may we work just as passionately. Lord, for things that technically would never benefit us, would not, would not help us. Lord, uh, uh, the bus that we'll never ride in, may we may we be just as excited at getting. So, Lord, the other kids can ride, and other other people can be blessed. And Lord, may we leave the the whole disposing thereof unto you. I am the Lord your God. Lord, you you we know you see. We know you're adjudicating everything, and we can trust you. I pray you bless, Lord. Bless the morning service. Bless tonight, Lord. Uh, uh, call sinners to repentance in Jesus' name. We pray. Amen. Amen.